Welcome back to Birdies Not BS. Let me tell you something right now. We see all that is going on in the world. We see the rallies and we see the hurt and we see the pain that's being displayed. So next week, we'll have a special episode for you guys about Black Lives Matter. But now, this week, we got my man Michael Collins, ESPN correspondent, uh, co-star of Maddie and the Caddy Golf Podcast, and probably the funniest, most charismatic guy week in and week out on the PGA Tour. Welcome to Birdies Not BS. That's not what it's called. What's the show called? Birdies, oh, yeah, that's what it's called. BS. Birdies Not BS. My bad. Yes. I don't know what I've been drinking. <laughs> you don't even know the whole name of your damn podcast. I've been drinking, man. I've been drinking. Look at this. My bad. I, I had a sip and, it, and forgot what we was doing. Hey, I what's know, going I on? Like I, sh- I feel like I should go get my drink on a little bit. <laughs> it's happy was, hour. I, I won't say what golfer that I was uh Sending pictures back and forth with, but he was showing me his drink uh, <laughs> a little bit Texas. earlier, and I was like, "Uh oh, I might have to bust out a little something, something." Well, as you can already hear, one of the most recognizable voices in golf on ESPN follows the tour, Sirius Radio. We got Michael Collins with us this week. I'm I'm actually kind of excited, Mike. You know, usually when I see you, I run from you, but today I'm actually excited to see you. <laughs> You just running from me nowadays because you thought I was coughing. Oh, jeez. <laughs> <laughs> that that might have been too soon. Too soon? Yeah. I'm no. sorry. Should I say sneeze? What? What? Let me tell you something. You do either around me right now. I'm looking at you like, the hell is going on? <laughs> you got to be Look, careful with that stuff. I know, but man, I, I almost got in trouble because I put a, a hypothetical, I'm, I'm saying I put a hypothetical tweet out the other night about one of my hypothetical neighbors and them having a kid who was in India for six weeks and now the Indian the country went on lockdown and yet they don't practice social distancing. So like this little kid who's cute as hell, I love him to, he run over into the backyard and start getting near my kid. So I'm mm. like, oh time out. Hold, Hold on, up. wait, this is still hypothetical. Your hypothetical <laughs> yeah, neighbor your hypothetical kid around your hypothetical kid. Yeah, so I was like, what's the hypothetically, what's the right move? What do you do? <laughs> you know what? What did you do? That's what we want to know. Cause I would have probably pushed the kid down and went the other way with my own kids, <laughs> grabbed him up like a like a fumble off the off the you know hypothetically i just called my kid in the house hypothetically yeah hypothetically i called my kid in the house and was like you got to come in here you know but it was it would have hypothetically if if the reality was if it would have happened regardless it had already been too late because yeah so happens quick yeah, just that fast. How many times, like, even though they told everybody, like, social distancing and stuff, how many times have you been out and somebody see you and the first thing they do is put their hand out? Yeah. To shake your hand and say, what's up? Yeah. And, like, every, all of our first instinct is to reach right back out. And I'm always catching myself and I catch myself and I look at their hand and then I look at them like, um, like I know socially right now, socially nor in normal times, if you stared at somebody's hand when they put their hand out, that's a sign of I don't like you and I ain't giving you no respect or props. But now you look at their hand and you look at them like, 
Why would you do that? Like, <laughs> you know, it's funny. I was talking to Maurice Allen about this, Mike, uh, earlier this yeah. week. And his, 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 his idea is you need to make sure the people that you greet have a layer of ash on their hand. You know, so, you Doug, make sure. you're good. I, I'm super good. Like, I can Doug, you'll be have good. That, I got a layer. Of, look, I can't See why I live in Florida? Time. This yeah. is why I live in Florida. Because it's humid enough here that we only have very light ash that happens because of the humidity. I come out and see y'all in Arizona and I can't, the cocoa butter does not make it from my palm to my skin (laughs) because it evaporates before it even gets there. I look like Ashy Larry. Somebody put a Marlboro out on my knees and my elbow. (laughs) That is not a good look out here. All crispy. No, that's what I'm saying. That's why everybody looks good until they hit like 55 and then crack starts happening. Look, from I learned black not supposed to crack. It's not. That's it's a not. lie in Arizona. That's <laughs> a lie. Don't act like there ain't no black lizards out there. Everybody, you can find them. I can find them. Just don't be around Cheyenne with any with any unmoisturized body parts. She's like I the, will call you out. She's like quick. the lotion police. I am look at you like, like you I got a what? good eye. You need I to go get some corn okay. huskers. She uses that yeah. old lotion. That old Listen, lotion. Get everybody got their thing. Like her thing is lotion up. You know what I mean? Keep it moisturized. Right. Just keep it on you. Keep it on you at all times. Her chapstick. She good. Yes, right. I got Don't about six chapsticks in my golf bag at all times. <laughs> you got to stay ready. Look, Cheyenne's the only look. She travels everywhere with this big ass tour bag. I mean, it's I, I, I it makes sense that she has six chapsticks because she don't know which pocket she left the last one in. I got one in you each pocket. What? Yeah, you ain't never out. That's what I'm saying. No see? matter what pocket you go in, you see. Hey, when Cheyenne call you flaky, she not talking about head wise like on the inside. <laughs> she talking about skin. Your skin's flaky. Get your elbows, your ankles, your knuckles. <laughs> You're Mike, flaky. On the, on the same line, who's the most ashy player on the PGA Tour? Uh, There's a few of them out there, though. There's a few. <laughs> yeah. I mean, let's be honest. You know, you know the confused looks that a lot of people will give you if you talk to most golfers on the PGA Tour about lotion? Like, there's, you know what I mean? There's not, <laughs> there are very few pga tour professionals that you could be like yo man can i get some cocoa butter like what no you You mean sunscreen (laughs) no i do not mean sunscreen stupid i mean although i'm gonna tell so did george tell y'all the story of trevor immelman no he did not he did not no he left that one out but he did mention him and tell us that he, he and trevor were close yes so here here's a good lotion story one year uh George, Don Cheadle, Anthony Anderson are playing in the Pebble, the AT&T Pebble Beach Pro-Am. George has a house at the time on 17 Mile Drive. So we're all staying at the house, including Trevor Immelman, who is George's partner and Trevor's wife. And they're staying. <laughs> he had an apartment above the garage. So Sound like it a small was, house. It was, yeah, right. It was myself, Don Cheadle. Uh, his cousin Mark, who was caddying for him, George and Anthony Anderson, and we were all staying in the house house. And we kept making fun of Trevor Immelman and his wife and kept telling him, look, we can't let you in the house all the time. You got to stay in the little because he's from South Africa. So we were calling it the apartheid apartment. <laughs> You're not allowed oh, to come in. Here. You got to stay out there. Like, and of course, because we're all friends, like, you know, that's what that's how you. 
if you're friends, <laughs> you make fun of one another that way. And we all laughed about it. So anyway, now we all know in California, marijuana and THC are legal. And at the time, these guys, I don't know where they got it from, but they had lotion that actually had marijuana in it. And if you put this lotion on, it would just give you like a very... It was very subtle, very like chill. It wasn't you wouldn't get like smoking a joint. It wasn't like, like that. CBD with a little, with a little. Yeah, it was kind. It was very point. similar. Yeah, it was similar to CBD. It was very just a like, relaxing. Everybody it was chill. But now we all finished the round, came back to the house. Everybody showered up. We were watching TV replay, trying to decide what we were going to do for dinner. As we're watching TV, Trevor comes in the front door and hey, what's up, fellas? Yo, hey, and. As he's walking over, he sees this little container of lotion and he grabs it. He goes, oh, great lotion. And he cracks the top and goes to put some on. And everybody at the same time was like, no. Oh, no. (laughs) And he stopped and looked and was like, what's the matter? And we were like, you can't use that lotion. You know, because who knows if he would have used it and it would have got who knows if he would have got like P tested if it would have showed up or not, but we didn't want to take that risk just in case. So So he told him to get his ass back into the apartheid apartment. (laughs) (laughs) He laughed. He laughed. I had funny. I had a moment of my career. There aren't many times where I feel like I was on a roof and just ready to jump and like where things have gone horrifically wrong. But that week was also one where I had a moment where I could have like sat in a corner and cried all by myself because every day uh, I would do videos while we were there with George and Don and Anthony and and they were, oh my gosh, hilarious. We, had, we were having so much fun and it was just a great week. It was an awesome week for everybody. And so um, Saturday night, Everybody was leaving on Sunday because no one made the cut. And so um, Saturday night, I said, yo, you know, it's my turn to go out. Let me treat and get everybody dinner and stuff. And, you know, we are all Chipotle fans. So I was like, hey, everybody want Chipotle? And yeah, yeah, get Chipotle, get Chipotle. So I go out and get Chipotle and I left my camera set up. And unbeknownst to me, the three of them, Don, um, Aunt and and George all jumped in front of the camera and were going to do a video for me that I would have found. But I had taken the memory card out of the camera and downloaded the videos we had done the the earlier and never put the memory card back in. So I have no idea this happens. And the next morning, Ann is like, hey, man, your camera's broke. And I was like, what you mean my camera's broke, man? There's nothing wrong with my camera. And he goes, yeah, it is, man. We all tried to jump in front, we were doing a video for you to give the ESPN just us, but it didn't work. And then they were like, all right, we'll see you later, man. Good looking out. And they all left and just let me stand there thinking of what they were going to do. That would have been like, I would have been a hero at the time. Yes. Nothing like this had ever been done before with at golf. So I sat there and then I'll never forget my editor calling me and he was like, Hey man, it was a great week. And I was like, Look, man, you just you need to talk to me for a minute. I'm not in a good spot right now. <laughs> oh, like, what you mean? I was like, I'm on the balcony and I could jump at any moment because of, <laughs> I all because of the stupid memory card, which now would never happen because we do everything on the phone. So mm. crazy. You mentioned 
Pebble Beach and staying at a house with a bunch of people. What yep. is your favorite tournament to go to where it's not only the tournament is fun, the course is beautiful, but off the course, you know, it's just a good environment for you and just in general of, you know, tournament golf and being able to travel and go to these events. My favorite town in the whole world is New Orleans. Ooh, okay. And that is, that city has a, a heartbeat and a soul that is different than any other place in the United States. And this from a guy, I mean, I did stand-up comedy for 20 years, so I've I've gone all over Canada and the Caribbean and, you know, been parts of Mexico and cruise ships, all that kind of stuff. And I just, there is something about New Orleans that just gets into you when you get down there that, I don't know, it's it's just, the golf course is not all that great, you know, I mean, it's it's all right. I love the fact that they're doing the team thing there now, but that city of New Orleans is just everything about it, the food, the culture, the people. It's like, it even smells bad. Like it has a, <laughs> if you get there on the wrong day, oh boy, it smells, Rough. <laughs> it smells like, like two day old, bad alcohol and horrible decisions. Oh, <laughs> Bourbon street late at night smells like despair. No, late at night, Bourbon street smells like, a frat house at the end of the party. Ugh. Yeah, like some like you somebody's already thrown up and they tried to have and you let the drunk person try and clean it up so you know it was half ass. Like it wasn't done <laughs> Just real well. Smeared around. <laughs> yeah, that's all it was. Yes, but the music's still going and there's still alcohol left, so you ain't leaving. <laughs> you can get them little slushies on the corner off Bourbon Street. Right. When's the yeah. last time you had a bad hand grenade? Never. Right. That's Never. like, yeah, when's the last time that you had a bad hurricane? Like, it's, yeah, there's it's no such good. thing. I'm like, tell me this. One, I just want to say this out loud. Cheyenne and I, uh, we discussed this. We talked about you. You broke our heart by standing us up at this year's Phoenix Open. Uh, we don't appreciate it. See, um, this is when you were saying what's one of my favorite tournaments. That is one of my favorite tournaments in the whole world to go to. But I'm not going to lie either. The last two years, it's gotten a little too much. Mm. All right, you gotta, we got to unpack On this. Friday and Saturday. We got to unpack that. The Phoenix Open is too much. How so? Here's, the, here's my own opinion. This is just the truth of how I feel. The 16th hole was better when it wasn't enclosed. Now, there's too many corporate boxes around there. At least when it was open and the whole public could get back there, the public was there to see the golf. Yes, they wanted to get drunk too, but they were there to watch golf and have a good time. In them corporate boxes, ain't nobody there to watch golf. Mm -hmm. They're only there to just drink and be seen. So they don't care what's going on on the golf course, where at least the people, when they just were surrounding that hole and there was only a couple of corporate boxes, the people were engaged in what was going on on the course. Now it's just see be seen and get hammered like that and so that if you're only there to be seen i'm not with that like i love the bird's nest and the party that happens across the parking lot every single night like that part is awesome the people watching there is some of the greatest Legendary. people watching in the <laughs> world i feel like for being the, the people's open it's like not the people's open when it comes to the 16th hole that was, the, that was the feeling I got. It was very yeah. like closed up and very elite. You very have to elite. know somebody who exactly. knows somebody to get a ticket. 
Yeah. yeah. Now everybody wants to get in the corporate boxes so mm-hmm. you can be seen and say you were in a corporate box. And it's not supposed to like for look, it's it's a double edged sword. If I'm the tournament organizers and directors, that kind of cash coming in. How yeah. are you saying no to that? Dang. But the flip side of that sword is, is that growing the game? If you believe that, you can kiss my ass. Like, I got a bridge to sell you in Brooklyn. Like, (laughs) that don't grow the game. Don't even try and lie. Because the people that are going up there are not new to the game. Because they ain't there for the game. And see, Mike, I do want to touch on that here in a bit. And we'll unpack some of that as well when we talk about growth of the game. But you're right. That 16th hole used to be surrounded by fans. And being there this year, I did feel there were way more corporate chalets and tents and boxes than ever before with a very, very limited section to um, the raucous public. Now, the question was, is that growing or hurting the game? Now, my question is, with the cash influx and the and the charity and the things that these tournaments are able to do because of those type of events and because of the, the Thunderbirds and whatnot, to you, what would you do differently on the 16th hole? Uh, at the Phoenix Open. Well, now the way that they have made the 17th, they're they're putting corporate boxes the whole way down the left side of that on the other side of the lake and then kind of around and then to the right side of the green that goes up around. It's almost like they're trying to enclose both of those holes. So it would be very easy to move some of the corporate boxes and put them down 17 that that is also a, now a drivable par four that a lot of guys go for and there's a lot of excitement there as well in doing if you did something like that you wouldn't lose any of the corporate money that you have being on 16 but what you would also do is you would alleviate some of the traffic the foot traffic problems that you're having between 10 10 green 11 t then the back of 15 and the whole part of 16 because now you've bottlenecked everybody that is trying to get to this one spot and there's very limited open seating for people and this is the part that's kind of shameful like golf channel celebrates people running from the (laughs) gate at seven in the morning when it's still dark dark yeah it's black they're running to get seats there and save seats when they get there it shouldn't have to be like that here now here's what would be cool why they tear that coliseum down doesn't make any sense to me leave that thing up and every group that comes through when you walk through that tunnel push a button and start the music so you can Push a button, let the crowd noise happen, feel what everybody feels when they when them dudes somewhat so feel it or make it like Wednesday. And here's the song that I want to hear while I'm standing here playing my shot, you know, in the Coliseum. And now I'm charging the extra $50 around and who ain't paying it? Yeah. I mean, that's kind of what draws everybody to that course anyway. But when you show up, you know, in April... And there's no grandstands. <laughs> that hole is almost rec- unrecognizable. And it's just yeah. a basic par three, you know, 140 yards or so. There's nothing to it. So I've always thought that because it adds so much to any type of hole just to have that and have that memory as your average golfer going and playing. Unlike TPC Sawgrass, when you get to number 17 on that island green, you don't need any grandstands around. You're going to stand on that tee box. You're going to walk or get in your cart and go from 16 to 17, and you're going to have butterflies going the whole way over there. You're not going to feel that 
out of TBC Scottsdale. You're just not going to feel that because there's it's the grandstands and the appeal of the Coliseum that would give you that, oh, my gosh, here we go. So here's a question for you. What other courses on tour do you think are overrated then? Oh, man. That was a good one. You slid yeah. that in there. You know, trying to get me in trouble. I just slid that in there. I know. You slid since, that in like them, since, like them dudes getting their DMs. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah right. Yeah, trying to get just like that. Just sliding quick. Yo, Yo, keep that I on the low. I couldn't get in touch with you, so if you want to just hit me up on this number real quick, you text me. I can't imagine what your DMs look like. Oh, my I would goodness. like to go through it just to laugh. Um, oh, you would laugh for sure. I know. You know me. I would be busting out. Um yeah, that's a great question, too, especially now in 2022, ESPN will have the digital no. rights to the PGA. And ESPN's Michael Collins said this course is overrated. But nah, you know me. I'm like, I'm, all right, here's one that's going to freak people out. The most overrated golf course on tour is Pebble. Mm. Wow, you just That's so hearts. funny because I say that, too, and people look at me crazy. I mean, they say Spyglass is better. Well, yeah, and if you ask... If you ask a guy like Jack Nicholas or some of the old timers that used to play that rotation when it was Pebble, Spyglass, and Cypress. That was Poppy. Yeah. Oh, no, it's Poppy now. Well, it went from when Cypress got taken out of the rotation, Poppy got put in. Oh, okay. And then Poppy got pulled out, and now it's Monterey Peninsula. Which, let me tell you, the, the Monterey Peninsula, the course they don't play, the Dunes course. Oh, oh my beautiful. God. I know. That Beautiful. course is money. And the thing about those courses, too, it's 1 through 18 are just yes! amazing. And the thing that disappointed me about Pebble when I went was, yes, you have the marquee holes. You know, you've got nine. You've got the par three. Like Nine and just... ten are not marquee holes. They okay, okay, suck I... for amateurs. <laughs> they are not fun. Seven. Like, number eight. <laughs> Everyone's like, yo, number eight is like the greatest par four ever designed. Not if you're a 15 handicap. It's not. That's the true. only thing great about eight is when you get there, you'd be like, yo, is this where the Japanese business dude drove the, drove the cart off the cliff? You'd be like, you know, that never really happened, right? That's just, just this myth in there. But it would be cool if it did. I could mm-hmm. see him going off. You know yeah. what I mean? But then you get to that back nine, and it's just kind of like you don't even Man. know you're at Pebble Beach. It's just you're just playing. Man. Yeah. yeah. I mean, of course, when you get to six when you're playing 16 and then going over to 17 you're like okay yeah i'm feeling it now but other than that like what was it 13 let me think so 10 11 12 y'all pissing all the blue bloods off just make 14 number 14 is one of the most horrible design par fives on the planet that's the one that goes right, right? It, it's right a right? hard dog leg to the right, and you can't hit – even pros pros can't hit driver. For amateurs, it's okay because you're not hitting it 300 yards through the fairway. And when you're playing – if you're playing and it's, you know, anything under 80 degrees and not firm, which is normal pebble weather, you're not going to run through the fairway. It's a three-shot hole no matter what. Like you're going to hit driver, three or five wood, and then have a wedge in your hand to a green that's not great. And you got an uphill shot, and it's like, no, I don't know one amateur that walked off of that par five and was like, that was awesome. Not one. <laughs> Even if somebody lucked, if you lucked out and hold out for Eagle, you won't be like, that was awesome. You were like, that was lucky. That was a double waiting to happen. Hey, Mike, so, so for our listeners and, and, and golf fans are everywhere, uh, when they see you on ESPN, they see you, you know, standing with golf's greats, 
knowing your background as a comedian, how the hell does a, a comedian, a guy that loves Gainesville, Florida, of all Whoa. places. Yeah, I hate the Gators, though. You got to make that's, that that's clear. That's fine. I'm talking about I'm the town, I'm a Gator hater, but Gator. I love the town. I love the town. How how the hell do you go from touring? Comedian. And also, I want to know who you toured with. Because many tour golfers and comedians uh, on the way up, they, they kind of got a similar lifestyle. I don't care what nobody kind says. Kind of. You travel together, stay in no, the same rooms. Uh, uh, it's solitary. Oh, okay. Well, you meet. It up. was very solitary when I once I moved down to Florida. When I was, I started doing stand up in Pennsylvania, and so I had a couple of dudes that I ran with up there. But then, as soon as I moved to Gainesville, ninety um, four, then I was pretty much doing everything on my own, and and with just that's and that's actually when I moved. It's ironic that I move away from Philly and New York, and that's when my career starts to blow up a little bit. And that's when I started doing, I was traveling all over the Caribbean. I was doing colleges. I was doing like a lot more comedy gigs all over the country. Cause it's two kinds of comedians. This is what people don't know. There's traveling comedians that travel all over the country. And then there are comedians that stay in the big city. So either LA or New York are the two a main hub. Texas is kind of starting to blow up a little bit, but. New York and L.A. are the two spots that – but when you go there, New York comics are doing seven minutes. You know, L.A. comics are doing 10 minutes, 12 minutes. A road comic is doing an hour. So a lot of – it's a different style of comedy. Guys that get used to being on the road all the time, they have to make their act work for – it's it's easier, I think, for road comics – to make their act work wherever they go because they're used to things. People say, oh, everyone's the same all over where you get. No, they're not at all. So stuff that makes people in New Orleans laugh doesn't necessarily make people in Wisconsin laugh. I was doing stand-up comedy at a comedy club called Coconuts in Hilton Head, South Carolina. And it was the week of the tournament and met Omar Uresti and his brother on a Tuesday during a practice round. And they invited me to come to the tournament every day. And by the end of the week, it was 50 golfers and 100 caddies that had been to the show. And then I started booking comedy wherever the tour was going to be. Because then Tuesdays and Wednesdays, caddies would be like, hey, Mike, you want to carry the bag? And I'm yeah. Think I'm be inside the ropes, not thinking this bag weighs 35 stupid pounds and I'm going to walk seven miles carrying the stupid thing. Mm-hmm. But then I would ask him about the bullet. Like, What's man? What you keep looking at that little book thing? What are you writing down? Tell me why do you rake the bunkers like this? <laughs> why you got to make the bunkers look like I vacuum? Like, they got a line, got to be like a baseball field. And so then one week, Robert Gomez called me up and was like, "Hey, my caddy quit. I'm playing like shit, and I'm not having fun. Like I just need to remember to have fun on the golf course. Come caddy for me for a week." And I was like, yeah, why not? So I canceled a gig that I had on a Friday and a Saturday and went to caddy for him. And it was funny because the course was underwater when we got there on Tuesday. So they no practice round Tuesday. They wipe out the, the pro-am on Wednesday. So my first day caddying is for real on Thursday <laughs> on the first tee. On the PGA. And I'll never forget, he goes, comes to the bag, and he takes the head cover off the driver, and he's pulling the driver out. And I lean into him, and I'm like, yo, it's a par five. I go, don't hit it in the bunker down there because I don't know how to rake <laughs> like a pro, okay? 
right? <laughs> like, Yikes. Yeah. See? Giant laughing yeah. now. He didn't <laughs> laugh at the time, and he gave me... I was confused. Like, why is he looking at me like that? And, of course, he hits it right in the bunker. Comes <laughs> over, slams the club down into the bag. And I was like, man, I just told you not to hit it in there. And he's like, you can't say that. That's the only place I'm going to hit it. And I'm like, now you tell me what to say? <laughs> and we laugh. So we get down there and I'm like, man, what you going to do? He goes, this is par five. I'm going to hit it in the front greenside bunker with this wood and I'm going to get up and down for birdie. And I'm like, I just told you, fool, I can't rake. And you're going to hit it in two bunkers on the first hole. <laughs> and I was like, if you hit it in that front greenside bunker, your last name's Gomez. I'm going to go get INS and get you kicked out of the country. Oh, go ahead. Gosh. See what happens. Right? Yeah. <laughs> so cold blood. Right. So now he gets this smirk on his face, gets in the bunker, calls his hits it right in the front, but like he called his shot. Hit it right in the front bunker. And he's posing as it went in the front bunker and smirking at me. So I put the bag down. I'm like, security, this dude ain't got no green card. And he's <laughs> laughing and he's like, get your black ass back. <laughs> and, and then I realized, oh, shoot, yo, there's two other golfers and caddies here too. Yeah. And we look over at them and the look on their face was like, what the hell is going on here? So, Mike, look, when it comes to the majors, and I'm talking yep. like when I was a kid, the majors, it was you had the open championship. The characteristics were firm, fast, undulating, ground game, wind, rain, just shit weather. The U.S. Open was was about, well, back then it was firm, fast, and they protected par. Yep. Okay? Um, Augusta's just Augusta. It's its own thing. Yes. And then you had the PGA Championship, which is lush and long. Like, that was, like, long as in, like, you're playing from 7,700 yards, you know. Right. How do you feel about kind of the change in golf? Like, I'm happy to see the U.S. Open going back to Wingfoot. Parkland-style golf course, it's, it's how it's supposed to be, in my opinion. I don't like Chambers Bay. I don't like seeing, you know, I want to see the U.S. Open at Pebble. I want to see it at Torrey Pines. I want to see the U.S. Open uh, in, like, yeah. Pennsylvania. Take it back to Marion. Take yeah. it to the Well, see, Club. the only problem, like, Marion, the golf course itself, was one of the great U.S. Opens. I'll never forget Ernie L's on Tuesday at in the media apologizing for what the players were going to do to Marion. And then only one dude being under par. <laughs> and it was yeah. Justin Rose by the end of the week. So that that tells you about the golf course. The problem with Marion is the infrastructure. Like there's, there just ain't enough room. There's nowhere to put anybody. One of the great stories from Marion was one of the places where they were staging the players was literally at somebody's house and the family was still there. So like guys were in there, trying to eat their breakfast and the one guy sitting there at like I guess it's an island kind of thing where the TV's in the kitchen and he's going I'm watching the golf channel and this little kid in pajamas comes up sits down next to me grabs the remote and puts on cartoons and what am I gonna do because it's his house <laughs> like, I'm basically eating my breakfast in his house but now I gotta watch cartoons because it's his house. And that's the problem with Marion is that infrastructure. This year, I love the fact that the USGA couldn't mess up Pebble Beach because of the weather. The weather, Mother Nature basically bitch slapped the USGA. <laughs> it did. And that's the thing. It's It's funny because it's like, that's the one thing that terrifies me now about the US Open and Wingfoot. So Mike, I got to ask this question while we got you here. And, and I'm sure Cheyenne wants to know, Mike, as an industry, when we talk about the USGA, the PJ Tour, First Tee, uh, all these all these entities, 
are they doing enough to actually grow the game? I've got my own theories, but I do want to hear from, I mean, you're in the industry, you travel week to week. What are you seeing from the organizations out there? And is some of it bullshit? Because I'll be honest with you. I think a lot of golf's efforts to grow the game is, is a bunch of bullshit. Well, a lot of golf's effort to grow the game is window dressing. And if you pull the curtain back, you go, oh, it's bullshit. I get it. It ain't real. The one organization that I would say does the most, both in front and behind the scenes, is the PGA of America. The PGA of America, their their youth golf program that they're trying to do throughout the country is for real. You know, and I was at the junior championships this past year and the excitement that was there from both the kids, the parents and the PGA of America itself was not fake. And it was real. Though my issue with when we talk about growing the game, like who are we trying to grow the game to? Like, I love I love the lie that's always that's being told about, you know, oh, we're trying to grow the game and get more inner city kiddies, kids involved. No, you're not. No, you're not. But you it sounds that, but good. It sounds fantastic. <laughs> and then you hear people like, you know, we got all these great first tee programs that are right. open to anybody and stuff. And you're like, hey, where's it at? Oh, it's in a in an upper middle class yeah. section of town. So yeah. and then when you say, um, so how exactly are you getting inner city kids to this place? Mm-hmm. Every and this every is week. here's here's what you want if, if you want a harsh truth, the solution to growing the game is one thing transportation. But you know what, buses and vans cost money, and insurance ain't cheap when it comes to transporting kids back and forth. But that being said, it's not a hard fix because guess what there are in every city I've ever been to boys and girls club, and guess what they got vans, and guess what they can do they can move kids. So now we got a basketball program, a baseball program, flag football, football. Couldn't you have a golf program that took kids out to the golf course out there? (gasps) But now if you do something like that, watch how many of those golf courses who was open arms when they knew no kids was coming. Now we go, we got vans. We coming on Tuesday. Oh, oh, yeah. Yeah, But if you start busting kids over to the course, then the first tee is going to come and try to put their name on it. But the first tee already has places and they ain't busting kids back and forth. Like, what good is the first tee? The first tee is growing kids to what? Um, a upper middle class section of town. Like, is that is that who you're trying to? If you're the first tee and golf is only a piece of what you're trying to teach people and what you want to do is grow great human beings and teach them all those fundamentals that you're talking, then go get the kids that need it the most. Because those are the kids that need the fundamentals the most. The ones that you're not getting in a van. The ones that you're not bringing from the city. The ones you, you, hey, it's nice to put up pictures and you can make a real nice diversity looking picture. But when it comes down to it, you're going to pick them up. You're going to take them back. You're going to get them a sandwich to eat. Like, it ain't hard to do. It ain't hard to do. But that's, that's why it's easy to have that whole window dressing bull on it you know but when you tell people like hey how are you going to go pick them kids you're not building a golf course in the city you don't have land it, you can't do that but you can go get the kids and take them to the golf course and then take them back what do you think if any top golf's role is in growing the game top golf actually is doing a great 
job of growing the game because are they growing the game or are they making more people hit golf balls? Like yeah, that's, but hey. You know what? It, or is it the same either way? And I'm it's playing the same thing. Nah, you know what? Someone who's never held a golf club and swung a golf club before, you're not going to take them out to Pebble or Spyglass for their first time. Hell no. They'll hate the game. They'll, they'll never want to play again. But if me and two of my buddies decide, yo, let's go 50 50, we'll rent this bay at Top Golf. You bring a girl, I'll bring a girl. We'll go on a date night instead of like bowling, which anybody can do that too. Or instead of going to the movies where you can't talk to nobody, we can go to this place, play games, swing a golf club. Like they can still be dressed to the nines. We can, there's a bar right there. There's music and food too. So we can kill all of these birds with one stone and we going out on a date and doing something we've never done before. You know what I never hear? I never hear people leave Top Golf and go, I ain't never coming back here again. Yeah, but the only thing about Top Golf that I would say it is way too expensive. Correct. That's the, it is way and that's too why expensive. I say it's got to be like three, it's two, anywhere between two and four people have to go. We're going to get a whole group together and everybody's going to chip in. Mike, how are you handling uh, this 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 time in in our our nation? Because I'm itching and scratching. Like, not playing golf is the worst thing that's ever happened to me. Ooh, man. Have you well, played, was... have you have you played in this time? Have you even left the house? What's what's your yeah oh yeah your yeah current update? So my where I live is on a golf course on Gain, I'm at Gainesville Country Club, but the course literally closed on Monday. Man, he bougie. Right. Well, <laughs> let me fancy. put it this way. The course is here enough. Man, if you've seen this country yeah. club, it, it is not bougie. It's not even bouge. <laughs> it's a little buh. Just a buh. Yeah, I just kind of, it's with a small B. Yeah. It's, it's, yeah, but they left the holes and took out the flag sticks. So I went up and st- stole. Oh, you know what? Hypothetically, I may have stolen my own push cart out of a barn because it's my push cart. So I can have whenever I want to, if I need it. And so to get my walk and my steps in and get some swings and stuff like that, you just go walk around because the place is closed. The funny thing is they are still, they're maintaining the course, which is funny. So hypothetically, when did you go last? Allegedly. Mm. Allegedly. Allegedly. Allegedly you were on the course when? today oh allegedly hypothetically speaking allegedly uh, somebody <laughs> may say that they saw someone who looks similar to me <laughs> but there's a whole bunch of people that got a beard like this there's a whole bunch of, like bald bearded little chubby guys out running around <laughs> <laughs> trying to hit that ball everywhere yeah yeah just try, trying to get your swings in get your steps <laughs> and your swings in that's the one thing i have been able to do now is like i started this whole exercise regimen now well good for you yeah it's the time to do it we don't have anything else to do <laughs> i can get rid of fat i can't get rid of ugly but i can get rid of fat <laughs> <laughs> mike hey as we wrap up and, and again we appreciate your time being with us tonight why why does it even matter growing the game being a part of golf like what the hell is it to you that keeps everybody attached to this this game and, and why is it important that we preserve it protect it and grow it the best way for me to to describe that is when Mike Trout is done playing baseball for the season, he doesn't get together with his buddies to play hockey. 
when Steph Curry is done playing basketball for the season, he doesn't get together with his boys to play baseball. And when Alex Ovechkin is done playing hockey, he ain't trying to get with Aaron Rodgers to play football in the backyard. But you know what all of them are doing? They're all playing golf. And that tells you something about this sport. The reason that I fell in love with golf is because golf is trying, knowing that you can't be perfect and yet still trying to be perfect. That's the beauty of this game. It's not possible to be perfect in this game at all. It's just not possible. There's no such thing. But yet the addiction of this is you can try. And that's the beauty is that you know you're not going to be perfect, but you're still going to go out and try. And the the demons that you fight are your own, in your own head. And so some of the most enjoyable rounds that I've played have been by myself. If I need to go clear my head and just get rid of all the shit that's in there, I'll go play it around all by myself. And that time of trying to be perfect, knowing that I can't be perfect in those walks in between shots allows that to happen. It's very therapeutic and it, it allows everybody the opportunity. Sometimes even when you don't want it to self reflect, that makes you look inside at yourself sometimes. And sometimes after you hit a bad shot, you know, you start screaming at yourself on the inside and you start realizing why you mad at yourself and it ain't got nothing to do with that golf shot. I love that. Well, that's it for this episode. Next week, we're going to have another great episode. Make sure you tune in, subscribe. Also, Write us a review. Let us know what you think and keep them questions coming. We see everything. You can send us your questions at birdiesnotbs.com. So don't forget to check us out on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram at birdiesnotbs. Keep us on our toes and y'all will hear us next time.